Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Fred Henke about best practices and strategies to boost employee morale and productivity. Fred Hanke, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. You're joining us from Tennessee. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about best practices and strategies to boost employee morale and productivity. As we get started, I wanted to share Fred's bio with everybody. Fred Henke is a senior vice president in the New York office. He is a transformational and innovative man- management, workforce, and HR consultant focused on helping organizations improve business results, implement and operationalize business strategies, and achieve a high-performing workforce. Fred has more than 35 years of experience in executive leadership and coaching, innovation, lifecycle management, business strategy development, program planning and management, and adjacent areas. His expertise includes organizational design, business process improvement, talent strategy development and management, technology selection and implementation, and shared service design, implementation, and management. Uh, I could go on and on, but I'm going to pause there and give you a chance now to share anything else about yourself, your background, your personal context that you would like to share with the audience, and then we'll dive on into the conversation. John, I appreciate the intro, and thanks for this opportunity. Uh, So I started my career as a software engineer and uh, did quite a bit of work in operations research, uh, manufacturing scheduling. And uh, learn a whole lot about this, you know, the manufacturing supply chain. What's interesting is a lot of those concepts and technologies are now being used in the human capital management uh, supply chain. Uh, spent some time in a uh, an internal consulting group uh, where we went out to plants, departments, and uh, looked at how they use technology, looked at their processes and organizational structure. I learned from some really great uh, executive. Uh, management consultants and consulting got in my blood at that point and that's really what launched me into management consulting and along the way uh, I have uh, worked in HR consulting as well Um, you know people uh, and their their productivity their well-being is you know has always been in my heart and uh, I don't really think that you can do uh, business transformation without also looking very carefully at the impact on on the very people that are doing the work and so much of the business transformation work that I do today is around mergers and acquisitions, digital transformations, and and ultimately risk management. Yeah, all super important areas. Uh, Fantastic. And I appreciate 
adding uh, that additional background and context around your background and, and how it informs the conversation today. So let's go ahead and dive on in. Again, we're going to be talking about best practices and strategies to boost employee morale and productivity. Now, there's a lot there, um, but let's start there. And if you wouldn't mind just sharing uh, from your experience what some of those best practices are, and then we can start to pull it apart and uh, dive into each of those. Yeah, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone these last two and a half years have been a dramatic change to our workforce, uh, the very nature of work in the workplace. And you know, one of the big challenges we're facing is, especially for remote and hybrid workers, giving them a sense of belonging to the organization, especially those that have been hired in the last two and a half years. Um, and it really starts with the onboarding experience. Um, it's the first important step to making the, making the connections for that, uh, that, new, uh, that new hire, new connections within your organization. And ultimately, you know, people want to be heard and, uh, and, and understood. And it's really challenging to do that in a remote environment. It requires a combination of active and empathetic listening skills. And, um, you know, managers, uh, some were challenged when uh, the people were all on site. When people went remote, it became really challenging for some. And so uh, one of the things that you know, I'm noticing is, especially for new managers and new leaders, uh, developing those, those listening skills. Very, very important. Uh, in addition, you know, people want to know that the organization cares about them, their well-being, their overall well-being, and not just the physical well-being. You know, looking at physical wellness programs uh, like benefits and better access to those benefits, but also emotional and social wellness. You know, by offering more flexible work arrangements, as many people are, you know, taking care of kids at home or elderly at home, um, balancing the workloads. So, you know, it's easy when people are kind of remote to kind of lose sense for what are people actually working on? You know, is that person's workload more than that person's workload? And so we're seeing a shift in measuring uh, not just the inputs, how many hours people are putting in, in a day, but the outputs. What are they producing? And so it's really important to do that. Uh, and it's also important to have daily contact. If, you're, uh, if your direct reports are all remote or hybrid for that matter, having daily contact is really important as a manager. Uh, mental wellness is also uh, on the rise in terms of organizations looking at it. In a recent survey, 90% view that as a top priority. Unfortunately, only 30% are investing in it right now. I'm hoping that number increases dramatically in the coming, uh, coming months. Uh, counseling services, training managers on how to spot burnout, identify burnout or other challenges people may be having. And then finally, uh, financial wellness. These last two and a half years have been really, really challenging financially for many. Uh, the organizations are building crisis funds. They're uh, also looking at debt repayment, offering debt repayment services, as well as providing financial advisors that are purely financial advisors and not trying to sell something. I, I like the holistic approach that is represented by the, the range of strategies and practices that you just identified, um, because each of those do absolutely um, link back to morale, productivity, uh, effectiveness, efficiencies, et cetera. And ultimately, we have to see our people as real people, um, real people with real messy lives and challenges. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you hear the phrase uh, when, when people show up to work and they have, you know, baggage and they have stuff going on at home and they're like, just be professional, just just put on your professional face. And the problem is 
everyone's lives bleed, you know, different aspects of your lives bleed into the others. And, and you can't just kind of pretend like everything's fine. And, uh, you, you have to be able to address it. Now, does your employer have to be able to address every last thing that happens in your personal life? No. But what we've seen in the modern world of work and the modern labor market is, you know, as employees have options, if they don't feel supported by their boss and by their team, if they don't feel that empathy, if they don't have the resources they need to be able to be more effective for their organization, oftentimes they will just choose to leave. They'll vote with their feet. They'll go somewhere else. Uh, and then you lose out on a good employee um, because you were trying to move forward with this facade of like everyone's life is fine and, and people can just show up and be quote unquote professional at work. Yeah, and you know, um, we're still in a bit of a seller's market and a labor market. And I think, you know, that'll shift at some point. But right now, <clears throat> severe uh, labor and skill shortages and uh, an organization that I'm working with. Um, and I'm seeing this in other organizations as well. They've really ramped up their whole stay interview process and they're training their managers on how to conduct these stay interviews um, 60 days after hire, six months after hire, then annually after that. And they're training their managers uh, how to ask what questions to ask and how to ask those questions, such as, what does a, a good day look like for you? Um, when are you at your best? And where could you add even more value in the organization? So it's, you know, it's really kind of uh, addressing not only what might they need to be even more effective in a role, especially if they're working remote or hybrid, but what are their ideas? What are their creative ideas on how to improve? And when people, when, again, people just want to be heard and understood. And part of yeah. being heard is also, hearing your ideas, hearing their ideas and doing something with them. Doing something with them is a key point um, because a lot of times organizations will have some sort of mechanism in place for people to share, to, to, um, to, to share the, the challenges they're facing or their ideas or whatever. But more often than not, even if those mechanisms exist, there's never much evidence that anything really happens with what's been shared. Uh, and that, of course, only ends up eroding trust and eroding morale uh, and, and frustrates people. So absolutely, you got to do both. You have to listen intently with empathy. You also have to be ready and able to act uh, in reasonable ways based on the input you're getting from your people. And in this particular instance, as you're, as we're describing, um, you know, trying to understand better uh, where people are coming from when you're doing stay interviews, uh, ultimately, you know, they're, they're signaling to you what will help them be happy and fulfilled in their work, um, or what will drive them to leave. <laughs> and it, and I don't know what better feedback you could get from your people in real time um, to make adjustments. And uh, so we just, we have to be committed to be able to make reasonable changes. Now, of course, we can't upend everything. We do have constraints. There are systems in place that we can't always um, get around. Um, but within reason, within as we try to be creative and work the problem and find solutions, you know, our people will will see that effort and they'll appreciate it, even if they can't get, you know, everything that they want. Well, one of the uh, one of the organizations that I work with has uh, developed a an onboarding SWAT team. That's that's their their sole purpose is improving the employee experience during the onboarding process and after. And 
Yeah, one of the things that I've uh, <clears throat> discovered along the way is not every manager is good at, at doing state interviews. Uh, no amount of training, practice, they're just not good at it. The SWAT team in this particular organization, they do all the state interviews. Mm. That's one of their specialties. Now, they bring managers into some of those conversations to start passing on that, that skill set. But listening empathetically and actively at the same time is really, really challenging. And it takes practice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've already alluded to the great resignation. Um, I don't think we've we've pointed out the term exactly, but there's there's the the issue of quiet quitting, uh, quiet firing, like all these different things that are happening right now in the labor market. And then, of course, we have um, the recent mass layoffs from tech companies. Uh, all of that, though, happening while there's still skills gaps. In shortages in STEM fields and in hospitality and and in in uh, uh, healthcare and, and and so many different areas, um, so all of this is is churning and spinning around, creating this this kind of really complex labor market that we find ourselves in. But the reality is, uh, you know, organizations if they want good people, they still have to make their organization attractive. Uh, they still have to make sure that there's a good positive, healthy employee experience, um, because the good people are going to, to choose, um, you know, based on that experience. Um, so maybe if you can share with us some insights on how the great resignation and all, all that's happening right now is impacting productivity and morale, uh, overall and what it's doing to employee loyalty to their organizations and vice versa, organizational loyalty to their people. Yeah. Well, back to your point about the tech layoffs, um, you know, a number of those were a result of overhiring, you know, ahead of the demand. So it's not uh, it's not the demand. The current demand has gone down. It's that the future demand hasn't happened as quickly as maybe they had hoped. Um, you know, and this whole great, great resignation, the top reasons that people are leaving, one is toxic work environment. You know, some of that has to do with the managers, um, you know, not necessarily <laughs> – doing a great job of managing a remote or hybrid team, as we talked about earlier. Uh, someone has to do with not feeling like they belong in the organization, whether they don't belong relative to the culture or the mission or just the work itself. And, um, you know, first off, when, when someone leaves an organization, that work goes somewhere and it generally goes to the people that remain. So their workload is increasing. They may have already had a fairly kind of a full plate. Now they're taking on additional responsibilities. And the challenge with filling those open positions is taking longer and longer. So it's an extended period of time that the people that remain are continuing to, to do that extra work. And that's that's leading to burnout in many cases. And people are an order of magnitude, higher probability they're going to leave when they're burned out. So the burned out people leave and it becomes a self-perpetuating thing. Um. The number two priority uh, for most stage organizations right now is, is employee experience. Part of employee experience is understanding workload balancing. You know, uh, have we balanced the workload effectively? Um, and, you know, productivity uh, can be increased through automation. And I know we're going to probably get to that at some point, but, um, you know, it starts with, for me, you know, really looking at those things that can just be discreetly defined and codified. If you can codify a manual process or part of a process, 
and the, the inputs into that process are pretty consistent and of high quality. And there's enough volume and frequency in that process to automate it. Why not? You know, why not automate it? Now, how are people going to feel about that? Well, <clears throat> the younger generations, the youngest three generations in the workforce actually welcome that. They want to increase their digital skills. And by interacting with automation, uh, even if they have to do manual steps around it, they're learning those technologies. They don't want their skills to stagnate. In fact, 55% of millennials will leave a job, leave their current job over that. Which is a startling number, but it's it's the reality. So we have to pay attention to that. And and I know, you know, I, I hear from leaders and sometimes they'll they'll voice concerns um, about younger generations of workers and how it's different than you know, their generation and it, it, they find it frustrating. I'm like, you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to, um, you don't have to have that preference yourself. Um, but the reality is younger workers have choice and they get to decide where they're going to work and how they're going to work. And uh, so you, you can be unhappy with it all you want, but if you want good young workers to come work for your organization, you're going to have to find a way um, to attract them and to retain them and so you better listen to them and, and what their their needs are. Well, I want to come back to onboarding again. Uh, so the first 90 days, people are deciding. Yeah, and we know that one of the indicators of, of, of high levels of engagement at work are just, do you have good coworker relationships? Do you have friends at work? Do you have a good relationship with your team, with your boss? Uh, when you have good relationships, it can um, smooth over a lot of the other challenges that the organization may be facing, <laughs> um, and, but vice versa. You know, the organization could be a great organization uh, in many, many ways, but you work with a crummy team, with a bad boss, and it's going to drive people out of there pretty quickly. Um, and so keeping that in mind and fostering those opportunities for meaningful uh, relationships at work uh, is going to be really important. It's going to help you keep uh, really good people uh, for a variety of reasons, as you just indicated. Um, let's talk a little bit more now about efficiency and productivity um, and how that relates to automation technologies uh, that are out there. Uh, how do you see organizations, employers, uh, leaders moving forward to better utilize automation uh, to boost efficiency and productivity, in, but also in a way where employees are still in the first 90 days, if they're going to stay with your organization long term or not. So that onboarding experience needs to be really, really good for all the things that we talked about earlier. Now, they may stay longer than day 91. They may stay two or three years, but they're going to be, you know, in a sense, kind of quiet quitting. And quiet quitting is really disengaging. And you'll know if somebody's disengaging, if they don't speak up in meetings anymore, if their output or the quality of their output is beginning to shrink, they're not coming up with creative ideas anymore. And so that first 90 days is really important to establish them in the organization and get them connected. Uh, the number one reason people stay with organizations, back to the stay interviews, is they don't want to let their friends down. So if you have no connections in an organization, you don't have friends in the organization. So the more connections you can make early on 
and reinforce. And then really the manager plays a key role in that, making those introductions um, and, and encouraging people to plug in various places. The more connections people have, the more opportunity they have to build those friendships. They don't want to let their friends down. Feeling like they're needed, that they're wanted, that they're valued, and not scared that they're just going to be displaced by technology. Well, it really kind of depends on how you package it on the front end, right? So um, if you're automating things that were being done manually and uh, you're not <clears throat> essentially taking that that person whose you know, his job is impacted by it and moving them to maybe higher level functions. So decision-making, um, getting out ahead of a process and looking at what's, what's coming, uh, forecasting, better decision-making, et cetera, then yeah, they're going to feel threatened by it. But there are a lot of broken processes out there, uh, broken in terms of very manual, uh, lots of rework, uh, many, many handoffs. Um, and you're going to know that a process is broken if people are over communicating. You know, you've been on the, uh, the, you know, the 17 emails in a row that kind of said the same thing differently, right? Over communicating, uh, constant firefighting mode. If every day that person's coming in or per people are coming in and they're you know, their inbox is filled with emergencies that have to be taken care of immediately. Uh, lots of overtime or rework is another indication of a broken process. Uh, staff frustration, and maybe leaving over it. Uh, burnout and turnover are big uh, with broken processes. Dissatisfied customers, getting a lot of complaints. And, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, you can, um, you can identify segments of processes that are good candidates for automation, I won't go through the whole list again, but ultimately, um, once you start automating processes, it starts to build momentum and people start to see, oh my goodness, I have an idea for something. I have an idea for a process that we had to look at. And you start to build a library of these, uh, these automated processes, whether you're using robotics, machine learning, AI in some way, or analytics, or a combination of all of those. And I've, I've seen it happen. I worked with some of the early versions of uh, robotic process automation and AI back in the 80s and 90s, and before you know, before the tools got really sophisticated, and I know firsthand uh, what it can do. I mean, we took a a scheduling process that took 20 hours in the manufacturing world down to two hours by using those technologies. Now, the 25 people that were doing scheduling at the time, they all had a job after we automated. What we did is. We took three or four of them and said, you're going to do the daily scheduling. This group's going to do three months out and this group's going to do six months out. And oh my goodness. They loved it because, you know, they weren't working long hours just to get the schedule out for the next day and hoping that they were right. Yeah. Great example. Well, Fred, this has just been a great conversation. I know we could go on and on. There's a lot more we could dive into, but I also know at the time I need to let you go here in just a few minutes. Before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, so I can be reached uh, through my email at fhenke at seagullco.com. Um, in addition, uh, I have a number of uh, insight articles out on our website, seagullco.com. Uh, some uh, M&A, digital transformation, risk management, et cetera. So feel free to go out there, and I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts after you have a chance to look at some of that material. I also do, uh, do a number of speaking engagements, uh, webinars, seminars, and conferences. So hopefully I'll meet you somewhere along the way at one of those. Wonderful. Thank you, Fred. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage my audience to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Fred and his team can do for you. Let's focus on making the workplace better for our people. 
let's we'll get more out of them. We'll we'll have better performance. Uh, they'll be happier. They'll be healthier. The organization will thrive. We'll be able to add value to the market. And uh, I appreciate you, Fred, again, for sharing all your insights with us today. As always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.